there in your Bibles, you don't have to turn there. We will be glancing at chapter 3 here in just a moment. But we're going to continue this morning in our series on 2 Peter. And the main idea of the passage this morning is that reminder and, and, and repetition and recall are essential. They are vital to growth in the Christian life. If you'll remember, the whole theme of the book of 2 Peter is growth. It's growth in the Christian life. If you'll take a look really quickly at chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, you can see there that Peter reminds us or, or tells us his main idea, his main reason for writing the book of 2 Peter. He says this in chapter 3, verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, that's all the things that he said, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And there we have the apostolic commandment. We have the obligation and the duty as Christians to be growing and to be careful that we don't lose our stability that we don't wander off and get distracted and take steps backwards, but that we are seeking and pursuing the knowledge of our Savior, and we are seeking and pursuing grace and grace at work in our lives. And Peter has developed this idea then of growth all throughout the book. And we have used the illustration of a toddler, you'll remember, in our series to sort of get at what Peter is saying in this book. And we know that in the kingdom of heaven, we are all, in a sense, toddlers. We're like children in the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus in Mark in the gospel reminds his disciples that it's such, that is, as those who are as children who are citizens of his kingdom. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 likens us in this age as children. And he says that when we get to glory, we'll be like those who have become mature. And so there's a sense in which we are all children, regardless of the progress that we've made in this life. We are all like toddlers and like toddlers. uh, We have many challenges to face in life and we have many dangers in front of us. And we must take care and we must watch and we must be careful that we don't lose our stability. We must be growing We have new life. God has given us new life. That life lives within us. That life is the very life of Christ. It's the very life of the exalted, resurrected Christ. And yet we must be diligent and we must put our hands to the plow to use that life appropriately and to be seeking growth in Christ Jesus, to be seeking growth in grace and in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And we need support and we need guidance and we need direction. And 2 Peter has taught us so far that Our support, the ground that we stand on in this life that gives us stability and support is nothing less than the knowledge of the truth that we have in Jesus Christ. The knowledge of the gospel, our theology supports us and it's a stable ground that we stand on. And we need guidance. And 2 Peter has taught us that the guidance that we have is nothing less than the virtue of Jesus Christ, his perfect humanity. We are seeking to grow into uh, Christ-likeness, to be like our Savior to imitate him in his glorious and perfect humanity. And we have direction in this life. We have something that moves us and draws us along. And that's nothing less than the anticipation of perfection, the anticipation of being in the presence of Christ and seeing him face to face and actually being conformed to him in his perfect humanity in the world to come. And so we stand on knowledge. 
and we are growing in righteousness, practical righteousness, practical Christ-likeness, and we are reaching for and aiming for the goal, which is our perfection, and we do this with great hope, and we do this with anticipation. And you'll recall in Second Peter in chapter 1, Peter has reminded us that we don't do this in our own strength. We do this in the strength that God himself supplies, and yet we must be busy at the work. And both of these two ideas go hand in hand. Peter has reminded us in chapter 1 that this life that we live and this growth that we're called to, we didn't call ourselves to it, and we can't fulfill it in our own strength. God has called, it, uh, called us to it. He's elected us to it. And we saw that in verse 1. And God, in verse 3, has given us everything that we need for this godly life through Jesus Christ, through his excellent glory, through his virtue and power, through his resurrection. And we have Christ himself then as our example. And in verse 11, God reminded us that he's given us the promise and the hope of a glorious and rich inheritance and entrance into his kingdom. And so he has given us everything that we need to strengthen us and embolden us in this task of pursuing growth in holiness, growth in practical righteousness, learning to live out the grace that saved us from our sins, and seeking to live a life that's worthy of that grace and true to that grace and that expresses that grace in every particular in our life. And today, Peter is getting to a place in his epistle. We get back to where we are today, and the point that he wants to make to us in this whole context of growth is that reminder is vital to growth in the Christian life. We cannot grow unless we are constantly being reminded and stirred up again to these qualities and to these things. We need the gospel. We need it again and we need it again. We need reminder. And that's a little boring to the flesh and that can become tedious to the flesh, but to our spirits, it's our life. And it's vital to growth in the Holy Spirit and growth in the Christian life. We need to be able to, at any time, the Apostle says, recall the things that we have learned so that we might honor our Lord. Notice how he puts this in verse 12 through 15. Focus your attention just on these four verses. Verse 12, notice how he speaks here. Therefore, having said everything that he said about virtue and godliness in the Christian life and righteousness and holiness, he says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, these, of these virtues of Christ. His Christ-likeness is the way that we can read what he's saying there. Therefore, I intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them. You already know them, but you need to be reminded, Peter says. You know them, you're established in them, but you still need to be reminded. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body, to the day that I die, Peter is saying, to my last dying breath, to stir you up. He uses that term, that language, by way of reminder. We need to be stirred up to godliness. We need to be stirred up to practical righteousness. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, He knows He's about to die. And I just want you to then notice that these are Peter's dying words. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And if we were to skip forward, if you want to glance at verse 19, he says you would do well to pay attention to these things, to the prophetic word and so on. In other words, Peter is saying to us that he's reminding us of all of these things so that it will go well with us in the Christian life. We're called to grow. And his, what we see here really is his motivation of love for us and his desire to see us grow. And so I want to say a few things about this text. 
and we're going to get right into it. We're going to move pretty swiftly, I hope, through this sermon today. The first thing that we can see in this text that the Apostle wants us to keep in mind is that Christians need to always be reminded, even of the truths that they're already established in. Verse 12 again, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. The Bible in many places emphasizes this need that God's people have for reminder, to hear again and again and again and again and again and again and again the same things, the same message, the same gospel. We don't bring to you a new message, we bring to you an old message. And we remind you of it. We can see this in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 9, starting there. Of course, God places the rainbow in the heavens. He places the rainbow as a sign, as a reminder to His people of His promise that He will never again destroy the earth until He's accomplished all of His purposes in His Christ and He brings all of His sons to glory and only then will He destroy the world once again. And God puts this rainbow in the sky and He calls it a sign. He calls it a covenant to all generations, a constant reminder, an always reminder of the mercies of God. God does this in the Old Testament with Abraham and circumcision. You remember in Genesis chapter 17, verse 9, that God gives Abraham the sign of circumcision, and he's to, and he's to pass that sign on to his children for all generations. A always reminder, a constant reminder that those who are justified by faith have been called to walk before God and to be blameless. That's the whole idea of circumcision, to put off the flesh. Those who have faith in Christ are called by God to pursue righteousness and to pursue holiness. And circumcision in the Old Covenant was this constant reminder of that glorious truth. They had the Passover as an example of this in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, and chapter 13, verse 3. And Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 1 through 8, it was a memorial meal. Every year they were to take the Passover so that all the days of their life, Moses said, they might remember that God had redeemed them out of Egypt and the house of slavery. They were to remember that they were slaves and that God had rescued them by mercy, free and divine mercy, and that He had done so powerfully and effectively. And they were to be reminded of this again and again and again and again. In the New Testament, in Christ's own ministry, repetition, reminder, recall are emphasized to us. We can see this in the Gospels in all those ways that Jesus would repeat Himself. He said the same things again and again and again. Just one example of this is the Sermon on the Mount. We read it in Matthew, but there's a version of it in Luke. And Jesus was repeating Himself. He he preached that sermon more than once. And he, He preached it in a slightly different way every time that He preached it. And we see these things in the Gospels themselves. We have three synoptic Gospels, repetitions of the same message of Christ's life and ministry. In the Apostles, this is emphasized. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15.1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached, which you received, and in which you stand. And he goes on to remind them of that Gospel, that Jesus Christ died according to the Scriptures that he was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to the Scriptures and was seen by many witnesses. And he preached this Gospel and he reminded the people of God of these things. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says this to the Philippians, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. 
Now, one of the things you have to keep in mind in the book of Philippians is that that's Paul's theme in the book of Philippians. He's, he's repeated himself about 10 times at this point in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. But he says this, to write the same things to you, to write the same things, to write the things that you have heard, to write again about our common faith that you have heard so many times, that you've had preached to you so many times, is no trouble to me. He says it's not tedious to me, and it is safe for you. It is good for you. It is helpful for you. It is necessary for you. John, the apostle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning, which is to say you've heard it over and over and over and over again since the day that you came to faith. And it's been repeated to the people of God since the beginning of time. 1 John 2, 7, he says that there is reminder and repetition. Jude 3, I wanted to write to you about the common faith, but I found it necessary to appeal to you to contend for it. He wanted to repeat to them, remind them again of the truth and of the things that they had believed. And Peter is saying the same thing here. I intend always, not sometimes, not regularly, always of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, to stir you up by way of reminder. It's right for me to do this, Peter says, so that you may be able to recall these things at any time. And this is ultimately rooted then in his apostolic calling. That's the language that we see here when he says, I intend to do this. This is, this is language of desire. I intend. It's language of purpose. It's language of dedication. It's language of love. It's language of labor. It's language of his calling. He can't not do it. It's like what Paul says when he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe is me if I don't remind you of these things. It's rooted in the apostolic calling. Paul mentions this himself in Romans chapter 15, 15, when he's writing to the uh, to the Romans in the book of Romans. And he says this to explain what he's done in the letter. Romans chapter 15, verse 15. He says, but on some points... I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. The whole book of Romans was a reminder to the Romans of justification and of sanctification and of glorification and of election and of those practical doctrines that flow from them being living sacrifices for Christ. He says, you've heard this a million times, but I wrote to you boldly about these things in some places and I reproved these things, I proved them again, I repeated myself again because of the grace of God given to me. That's his calling. He couldn't not do it. He was called by God to do it. And this calling that's apostolic that we see in Paul and that we see in Peter here in this particular passage is also a calling that they have handed down to ministers. Look with me. In fact, I want you to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15-17, through because I want you to see it. <laughs> This calling to remind and to stir up so that you might be able to recall is not just an apostolic calling. It's the essence and the heartbeat of a ministerial calling. And you can see this illustrated in 1 Corinthians 4, 15-17, where Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he is telling them why he sent Timothy to them. Now, just... For a moment, for a little bit of context, remember in the New Testament, the relationship between Paul and Timothy is paradigmatic. It's a pattern for the relationship between the apostles and every minister. 
And we see that in Paul's relationship with Timothy. So just, but notice this, what he says here. So for though, he's talking to the Corinthians. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you have, you're filled with teachers, you do not have many fathers. And uh, he's not saying that their guides weren't mature. He's saying that there, it was only a few who had the privilege of bringing them the gospel the first time. You have plenty of teachers, praise the Lord, but only I can claim, and maybe only a few others can claim, that they were there when you heard the gospel the first time and you were converted and saved. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Verse 17. That is why I sent Timothy to you my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. This is the apostolic calling. It's the ministerial calling to remind the people of God and to stir them up by way of reminder. And brothers and sisters, then I don't want to turn your attention so much to the apostles. I don't want you to see Peter and Paul and their love and their desire and their calling or even the ministers of God who preach to you and their love and their desire and their calling. But I want you to remember whose calling it is, who the source of that calling is, which is none other than God himself. This is God's intention. This is God's love. This is God's desire and will in your life that you be reminded again and again and again of His Word for your well-being and for your good always. It's right to stir you up always into the dying breath of every apostle and every minister to the things that you have heard and things that you have believed and to these qualities, these Christ-like qualities to go and live life this way. And to live a gracious life and a grace-filled and spirit-filled life. We hear here God's own love, His own attention, His own reminder. Would we hear the Word of God preached? And that's what uh, comes through to us uh, through Peter and through the preaching of Peter this morning. It's God's love. It's His reminder to us. Well, we think about these things and we can make a couple of applications just really quickly. We have many more things to say this morning. But number one, there's a need for reminder. It's essential. It's vital to growth. This is the main point that Peter is making in this place. He wouldn't speak this way if it wasn't important. He wouldn't have emphasized it. You see that. He's, he spends four verses basically repeating himself about ten times. I'm going to remind you. 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 He's making it a big deal. He wants us to pay attention to this. He wants us to slow down and notice that it's not just the virtues that we're trying to live, but this need that we have to be reminded of them always. We're going to lose our stability. We're going to be carried away by the error of lawless men. We're going to fail to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ unless we're reminded, and we're reminded always, by men called by God to their dying breath to do so. There's a need for it. It's an ongoing need. He says, although you have already, uh, that you know this truth and you're established in it, it's an ongoing need. There's no believer in this life who outgrows the need to be reminded and to hear again and to be working on the ability to recall these things. It's an ongoing need. And then finally, if we pause for a minute and step back from what Peter is saying, we realize that what he's saying exposes our weakness and our sin. And for those of you who are in Christ, you probably are already realizing that and thinking about it. The reason you need reminder is because you are so given to forgetfulness 
and you have a tendency to forget. You have to be reminded. You need to be stirred up because your nature is lazy. Spiritual laziness. You need to be able to recall at any time these things because it's not your nature to work at remembering and recalling the truth that you have heard, preached, and proclaimed and taught to you. And so this exposes our weakness and it exposes our sin. When we fail to live Christ-like lives, we have failed to be reminded. We have failed to recall. We have failed to remember. Or we have willfully rejected what we have been reminded of. And we need to be reminded because we're sinful. And we need to be stirred up because we're sinful. And God in His mercy, undeserved, in His love, although we are weak, He is strong. Although we are faithless, He is faithful. And He sends men like Peter, and He sends men like Paul, and He gives us the Word, and He gives it preached. He has that Word preached faithfully week after week out of great love for you and great mercy to you, mercy that you don't deserve. And so we're helped by this passage immediately. But then I want you to notice something else because there's an urgency to this need. You've probably already heard it in my voice. And I want you to notice here that Peter is speaking here his dying words. This is significant to us. Listen to how he speaks in verse 12 through 15. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right. As long as I'm in this body, this tabernacle, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. He's about to die. Second Peter is the last epistle Peter ever wrote. It was his last words. Some very amazing things to think about here just for a minute, brothers. I showed you when we started this book that Peter is not writing to any particular church. He doesn't say to the church at Corinth or Galatia or to the churches in the dispersion like he does in 1 Peter. He's addressing every believer for all time. And he knows that he is. He's inspired by the Spirit to do it. This is the Apostle's last words to the church for all time, to all generations until Christ returns. And he's about to die and he's pouring out his soul. I intend always to remind you of these qualities so that you might at any time be able to recall them. He's addressing you, brothers and sisters. He's addressing the whole church. This is His dying breath. This is His love for the people of God born from His love for God. It's a last testament. The book of 2 Peter is a last testament. A last testament is the dying words of a man, but it's a particular genre. And the book of 2 Peter uh, matches the elements of this genre. In a last testament, a man will summarize the essence of his doctrine, which in 2 Peter is the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection power. And it's soon coming. That's the message of the Gospel. That's the message that lives in you. That's the message that enables you to live a life of holiness. He sums up his message. He reveals that he's about to die. Those are the words that we're reading now. And he makes prophecies concerning the future. That's where we're going to see Peter go in 2 Peter to begin to speak about the return of Jesus Christ. These are his dying words. And so this underlines and underscores everything that we've said so far, how important reminder and recall really are to the Christian life. Of all the things Peter could have said, knowing that it was his final his final epistle, his final words, 
his last testament, of all the things that he could have paid attention to, he has his mindset on the need that you have to hear these things again and again and again and to be stirred up to them. What I really hope that you see here is his great love, his moving drive as an apostle, his calling, and it's nothing but God's calling. And so this underlines this. But I want to illustrate then what Peter's really doing in 2 Peter by comparing Peter to an Old Testament writer who also records for us his last words, his last testament. And I present it to you like this because I hope that it makes you curious and you start to ask, well, who is it in the Old Testament who writes to us his last words? Where do I find those? And maybe you have some ideas, but I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy. (laughs) I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy. The whole book of Deuteronomy is the record of Moses' last words to the people of Israel. Very dramatic book. Wonderful book. I highly recommend to you the book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) Of course, I recommend to you every book in the Bible, but Deuteronomy especially, what a book. It's a beautiful book. And you would do well to read it. And if you do read it, don't read it a verse at a time. Don't read it a chapter by chapter. Sit down, spend some time with Deuteronomy. Get some tea or some coffee and snuggle up with a blanket or something and read whole swaths of the book at once. Get the argument. Understand the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to it. Pay attention to it. Understand its narrative. Understand its context. And read it. And if you can, read it all in one sitting. Just take it all in. But let me remind you of some things about Deuteronomy. These are Moses' last words, but remember the circumstance here. The children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they have been hoping for and anticipating entrance into the land that God had promised to their fathers, to the promised land. And they have finally made it. They are at the end of this, of this wilderness journey. They are standing in what's called the plains of Moab, which is the, just the other side of the River Jordan. They are on the banks of the River Jordan. And Moses has been guiding them and leading them for 40 years. Now, just for a moment, remember what that really means for Moses. Moses was called by God to lead this people out of Egypt. And Moses was called by God to be with this people, to shepherd them and lead them and guide them. He's been with them for 40 years. He's he's interceded for them. He's bore their burdens. He's taught the Word of God to them. Moses loves these people. He loves them with all of his heart and his soul. And you remember Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. You remember God had said to Moses that because Moses didn't uphold his name as holy before the children of Israel, he could see the land, but he himself couldn't go over the Jordan. So this is the situation we find ourselves in Deuteronomy. All of Israel is on the banks of the river Jordan. And Moses is now called by God. He's about to die. He's told that he's about to die. And he's called by God to go to the children of Israel and preach one last final sermon. And the whole book of Deuteronomy is a record of the sermon that Moses preaches to the children of Israel on the plains of Moab just before they enter into the promised land. And so it's very dramatic if you're thinking about the whole narrative and the whole story of what's happening here. And you think of Moses' love for the people that was born by his love for God and his desire to serve God, which is really born of God's own love for Israel. And so just before he dies, he begins to speak to them out of the book of Deuteronomy. 
And one of the amazing features of the book of Deuteronomy, which I'm going to spend the next few minutes walking you through, is that it's much like what Peter says in 2 Peter. 2 Peter is Peter's Deuteronomy. It's the New Testament Deuteronomy. It's this pleading of this preeminent teacher in the church. And Moses makes it clear in the book of Deuteronomy. He's not simply addressing the generation who stands before him there on the plains of Moab. He makes it very clear in some places in Deuteronomy. He's addressing Israel for all time, for all generations, just like Peter is in 2 Peter. And Moses' message to the children of Israel is to remember and to be reminded and to be able to recall at any time the things that they have learned and the things that they have heard. And the main idea of his message is that the law of God should be a rule of life in the life of a redeemed Israelite. For the people of God, God's law is a rule of life. It's the, it's the life that should live in them and that they should be conformed to. And that's the message of Deuteronomy. He's preaching. It's, it's parallel to Peter. So if we look at Deuteronomy and we see Moses and we look at some of the language that Moses uses, it'll open up to a second Peter and we'll really hear what Peter is saying in these verses 12 through 15. We'll hear his love. We'll hear his pleading. We'll hear his urging. He'll hear, we'll hear his stirring up. And we'll hear some things that Peter doesn't quite touch on that'll be helpful to us to think about as we go through this book. So turn with me in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. And we're just going to do a survey. We're not going to read the whole book, not even come close to it. But we're going to look at a number of passages, and we're going to get a sense of Moses' intention to stir up Israel by way of reminder of the things that they have heard and these qualities, these Christ-like qualities that they have been called to. Let me say one more thing before we dive into what Moses is saying. You need to understand that the book of Deuteronomy is not preaching what we sometimes think of as law, or law, like a, a law-based righteousness. It's the furthest thing from Moses' mind. And I want to bring that out to you because I, you probably have in the back of your mind Romans chapter 10, where Paul says that Moses wrote about the righteousness that's by the law. If you do these things, you'll live by them. And then he goes on to say, but the righteousness of faith says, and then actually what he does is he quotes from Moses. He quotes from Deuteronomy. He quotes in both places from Deuteronomy, but this confuses a lot of Christians, and they get the idea that Deuteronomy is about do this and live. That is not Moses' message in this book in the least. It's the furthest thing from his mind. How could it be? This is his last words. He's the author of Genesis. He's the one who told us that there's a promised seed coming. He's the one who told us that righteousness is by faith. And he gave us the example of Abraham. I mean, brothers, this is Moses. He's preaching to his children, to the children of Israel, to these people that he loves. And he's told them again and again and again and again. You must remember that you were slaves and the Lord rescued you and redeemed you by a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And he loves you and all of these things that we're going to, in fact, touch on a little bit as we see some of the things that Moses is saying. So I just want to resolve that question in your mind immediately. Moses is not preaching a message of do this and live. He's preaching to the redeemed people of God that your life consists in a life that is pursuing holiness and obedience. What did God save you for if it wasn't that? Do you not know the God who saved you if you're not living that way? What did he do but to call you to himself? And who is he but the righteous and the holy God? This is the idea behind the book. So I just want to make that very, very clear. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is not comparing Moses with the New Testament or the Old Testament to the New Testament. 
he's comparing a misreading, a fleshly, sinful reading of Moses that's natural to every man, which is law, versus that of, the, of a reading of faith, which is why he quotes Moses both times and says, look, you've heard that there's a righteousness by the law, but there's also a righteousness by faith. So, all of that background, let's just get into it. Because really what I want you to see here is the parallel between Moses and what he's saying and Peter and what he's saying. And I think it will be encouraging to you. I think it will be really helpful to you. I think it itself will remind you and stir you up, as Peter himself says. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1 is where we're going to begin. And we're just going to sur- survey some text here. And again, remember, this, when, when we read, what we're hearing is Moses preaching to Israel. <laughs> He's speaking his last dying words to them. And he says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live. He, and again, remember what he means here. He's talking to the redeemed people of God. Do these commandments because they are your life. If we were going we to teach that in New Testament terms, what Moses is saying is Christ, Christ-likeness is your life. And this is what it means to be a Christian, is to pursue these things. That's what he means there. That you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is given you. Here he is. He's urging them to listen. They must be reminded. They must hear again the things that they've been taught for 40 years in the wilderness. Skip down to 4, verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. You must remember these things. He's stirring them up to diligence, to be able to recall at any time, to pass it down to their children, to teach these things and to know these things. Verse 23 of chapter 4, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which He made with you and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you, lest your heart be drawn away from worshiping the Lord God. And all throughout this message, He's encouraging them and He's impelling them so that it may go well with you and so that it may go well with your children. He's moved by love. He's moved by a desire to see their growth and their maturity. And he's communicating it and he's expressing it to them in these wonderful, glorious ways. Chapter 5, of course, we, what I wish I could do is read the whole book to you, but I don't, I don't have time for that. Chapter 5, verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 32. No, I've skipped some things. Chapter 5, verse 1, I apologize. Chapter 5, verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. And he's going to go back over the Ten Commandments. He's going to remind them again. And he's urging them here to learn these things and to hear them again and to be mindful of them and to recall them to mind. Chapter 5, verse 12, the fourth commandment. This is something that I think we miss a lot. We get so caught up in trying to keep the Sabbath day that we forget the, the primary command of the fourth commandment, which is to remember. Chapter 5, verse 12, observe the Sabbath day. To observe something means to look at it, <laughs> to know it, to remember it. And in fact, the language that God uses in Exodus, 
when he gives the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath. That's the commandment. The main imperative in the commandment is to remember the day, which is not just something that you do on Sunday afternoon after church. It's something that you do all the time. Or regularly. Remember, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Look at verse 15. He says the same thing. He elaborates on it. You shall remember. That's a commandment. (laughs) You shall remember. This is the whole point of the Sabbath day. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He saved you. He liberated you. He rescued you. He delivered you. He's your Savior. The Sabbath day is all about remembering God's salvation. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep it holy. (laughs) The Gospel is the root and the spring of their obedience. And He's there reminding them, remembering these things. Commanding them. Chapter 5. Now here we get to verse 32. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. There, There it is. Oh, he repeats it all throughout the book again and again. For your good always, he says. This is exactly what Peter is saying. So that it may go well with you. You would do well to remember these things, he says in chapter 1, verse 19. I intend to my dying breath to remind you of these things. He's moved by love. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess that you may fear the Lord your God, that is to love Him and to worship Him and to trust in Him, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all His statutes and His commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. He sounds like Christ, doesn't He? From the Sermon on the Mount. Christ said the foolish man is the man who hears and doesn't do. The wise man is the man who hears and does. Here we hear, we hear the Sermon on the Mount in Moses' voice. Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Beautiful text, beautiful language. Skip down to verse 10. And here he's going to up the ante a little bit. Things are going to get a little bit more serious. He's going to bring in a little bit of warning but we need to hear it. Chapter 6, verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you... And I emphasize that. I want to explain why I emphasize that. Because all through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses emphasizes this. He makes this very clear. There's a promise to the fathers. The promised land is to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And the amazing thing that God has done is chosen to give it to Israel and to their generations. But He's making it very clear that the promised land doesn't belong to them so much as it belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead. And so Moses' point is, remember the hope of the resurrection of the dead. This land you're holding for the ones that God said He'd give it to. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. (laughs) This is why Jesus says what He says in the New Covenant in in the Gospels. 
God's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And he uses Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as an example. of. He's quoting Moses. And so that's just an aside. <laughs> but we've got to remember these truths. We must remember them. There's a resurrection of the dead. Our hope is not based on ourselves. It's, hoped on, it's based on God's promise. We must remember these things. We must remember that we were slaves and now we're free by the grace of God and the power of God. And he's going on here. But notice what he says. I've gotten distracted from what Moses is actually saying at this place. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and when you are full, in other words, Moses is saying, when you receive all the blessing of God's salvation, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see what Moses is saying? The people of God are always being tempted to fall away from the Lord who saved them. To become distracted even by the blessings He Himself brings. If we were to say what Moses is saying here in New, Co- New Covenant terms, he says, beware lest, you've, lest you abuse your liberty. Lest you abuse the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of sanctification and the doctrine of glorification to become presumptuous. And your heart is turned away from the Lord who gave you justification. Who is your justification? Beware. Take care. Remember the message. Lest your liberty be turned into licentiousness. And he makes this same point in chapter 8, verse 5. Look there with me. He's going to say it in more detail here. We need to hear it. We have this constant tendency to take the blessings and the glory and the majesty of Christ and to pervert them into an excuse for our own sin. Verse 5, chapter 8, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. We've got to remember our sonship. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God. You see, rooted in your sonship by walking in His ways and by fearing Him, trusting in Him, worshiping Him, loving Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, that is wealth, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. He's talking about the blessings of the covenant. In the New Covenant, that would be our salvation and all the things I already mentioned to you. But verse 11, then take care. Remember. Be able to recall at any time. Lest you forget the Lord your God. Lest you forget Him by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes. If you love Me, Jesus said, you'll keep My commandments, which I command you today lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, 
then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And he's warning us through Christ against licentiousness and abusing our liberty and falling into complacency and to remember always the grace of God, the magnificent and wonderful grace of God. Look at where Moses goes with this chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 6. Following on the heels of what we just read, you can see the argument of Moses as we go through. You can also see he's certainly preaching the gospel, especially when we get here. Chapter 9, verse 6, know therefore, right? remember that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. <clears throat> He's specifically here turning our attention to the golden calf. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. And he reminds them what they did in the golden calf. You sinned away grace. You sinned, you, we went over it, didn't we, brothers? We, went, we, went, we looked at Exodus 34. 32 through 34 in the golden calf. And how they broke God's covenant. They ruined it. They provoked the Lord's wrath. They provoked it greatly. They send away election. They send away mercy. They send away all that God had done for them in saving them out of Egypt. And Moses is saying, you have to remember the truth. You have to remember who you are. You don't have any righteousness, Moses is saying. You didn't earn one lick of this. You didn't do it by your power. You certainly didn't do it by your righteousness. Look at what he says. He goes, he, what he does is he recalls the whole encounter at the golden calf. So chapter 10, verse 10. We'll get to where he wraps up about it a little bit. He says, I myself stayed on the mountain as at the first time 40 days and 40 nights. And we remember this from 32 to 34, especially chapter 34. And the Lord listened to me at that time also. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you. You would send away everything. And God was not willing to destroy you. He was ready to save you and rescue you. Moses is saying to the children of Israel, you must remember, 
I intend to my dying breath to remind you that the Lord your God loved you even though you had sinned His love away. You had sinned it away a thousand times. A thousand times over, a thousand times in degree. And He was not willing to destroy you. And so He called me again to lead you in the right way. If you remember Exodus chapter 34, He renewed and remade that covenant that they had broken. And then look at where Moses goes here in chapter 10, verse 12, as what should the outflow be for what God had done for them as we remind, are reminded of these things and remember them. He says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What is our response to such a saving work as this, to such mercy, to such grace? What does He require of you but to fear the Lord your God? That is to love Him and to trust in Him. To walk in all of His ways. To pursue holiness. To love Him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. With every ounce of your being. And to keep the commandment and the statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good. (laughs) Besides the fact that we owe it to Him because He's so wonderful and so good. Despite the fact that because He was merciful to us, we want to obey Him. But also because God has promised to add blessings besides for your good, He says. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set His heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. You've got to remember, Moses is saying, the doctrine of election. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your hearts and be no longer stubborn. Put off the flesh. You've got to remember that this is what you've been called to. You've got to be stirred up to it. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. That's who your God is. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So become like him. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by His name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Listen to me. The sermon of all sermons. <laughs> Moses preaching to the children of Israel. Chapter 11, verse 8 through 9. And we're getting pretty close to the end here. You shall, chapter 11, verse 8, you shall therefore keep the whole commandment. He's saying, therefore, here in the context is linked right to what we just read. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong. Because you're not going to find your strength in yourself. You're going to find it in the grace of God. His electing love. His character. His mercy. His salvation. His grace to you. And go in and take possession of the land that you're going over to possess. That you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. To give to them and to their offspring a land flowing with milk and honey. And we skip down to verse 20. You shall write them, the commandments, on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, and that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. It takes work. 
You've got to write it down. God loved you. He wasn't willing to destroy you. You must circumcise your hearts. Walk before me, the Lord says, and be blameless. You must remember that He's merciful and kind to you so that you might be merciful and kind to others. You must remember His holy law and His righteousness. You're called by God to it. Chapter 12, verse 28. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. We can just hear Peter. I intend always to remind you of these virtues, these perfections of Christ, and to stir you up by way of reminder. I mean, it's just, he's preaching Moses. Chapter 15, verse 15. Here's the summary statement of what we have said. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. (laughs) Therefore, I command you this day. Obedience always follows grace. Love for God always follows a meditation on His love for us, His redeeming love, His unmerited, gracious, powerful, effective, redeeming love. Turn with me to chapter 29. He's really wrapping up here. We're going to skip lots of chapters. Moses has laid down for the children of Israel the blessings and the curses. Blessings if they obey, curses if they disobey. And in the Old Covenant, you need to understand that what the context that that's in is God is warning Israel if they disobey Him, if they forget Him, if they aren't careful to do the things that he said to them, he will not hesitate to discipline them. He will not hesitate to discipline them very severely. Even throwing them out of the land. The New Covenant correspondence to that is church discipline. Ejecting them from the body. In that context then, (laughs) Moses says these things. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel. Chapter 29, verse 1, with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he made with them at Horeb, that's at Sinai, 40 years before. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders, you saw the salvation of God. Verse 4, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Now this is where we really see the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. But what I want you to understand Moses is saying to the children of Israel, he begins to say these very, very bittersweet words. They're mournful words at this point. And he's telling them, as sure as I'm standing here, as sure as I've been preaching to you to remember and not to forget and to take care and to know that it's not your righteousness but God's righteousness, you are going to forget. You are going to forget. And he's predicting to them that when you do, it's going to be devastating. It's going to destroy you. 
It's going to bring all kinds of miseries upon you and upon Israel. It's going to bring great sadness upon you and your life and the life of your fellow Israelites. And then he gets to chapter 30. And he brings in this glorious blessing. The promise of repentance. The gift of repentance. And he says these very encouraging words. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And when all these things come upon you, not if they come upon when they come upon you, the blessings and the curse, when you remember the Lord and when you forget the Lord, and when it goes well for you and then the Lord disciplines you, when all these things come upon you which I have set before you and you call them to mind, there you are in the squalor of your own sin and its filth and its corruption and all the miseries that it's brought upon you and your mind and your soul and your family and the people who love you. And you remember (laughs) what I always intended to remind you of. And you remember that you were a slave. And you remember that it's not based on your righteousness. And you remember that the Lord was not willing to destroy you. And you call these things to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. That's the misery of your sin and His disciplining hand upon you. And you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. When you repent, because you remember His grace, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will bring blessings again. He will remove the curses. Notice the language here. I've got to, you've got to hear the language. Have, he will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you again. He will gather you again from the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcast, if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there He'll take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And He will make you more prosperous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put these curses on your foes and enemies. The idea being He'll take them off of you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord. And keep his commandments that I command to you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous. In all of these different old covenant ways. But it's a promise you see. To the believer in the New Testament. That if he finds himself again in sin. And under the discipline of God. No matter how bad he has sinned. Even if he's under the discipline of the church. And he remembers the things that were preached to him. And he calls them to mind. And he repents in his heart and his soul. The Lord will restore his fortune. He will welcome him back. He will restore him. It's basically the parable of the prodigal son. (laughs) You remember the message of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. The father gives his son an inheritance. All these blessings of his love. And all these riches of his house and his kingdom. And he goes out and he squanders them all. He abuses 
the blessings and the liberty of his father's grace. And he says, I can't go back home. How could I go back home? I've squandered my father's possessions. And things get so bad for him in the miseries that he's experiencing because he sinned against his father that he says to him, he finally reasons to himself, it would be better for me if I went back home and became a slave of my father. I don't even need to be a son. I don't need an inheritance. It would be better than the misery that I'm in now. And so he goes home humbled and even trembling and fearful because he expects his father to be angry with him and to hate him and to probably not even make him a slave. And if, if he accepts him at all, just to make him a slave. And how does the father respond? What is the, what is the parable of the prodigal son? Oh, the father welcomes him with open arms, completely unexpected. Oh, he welcomes him with open arms. And you remember, there's the brother in the parable. The brother's not really intended to represent anyone. I don't think he's just there for the point of the narrative because the point is, is that the that, the, that the, the good son who never sinned away all of his father's inheritance is a little jealous because, God, because he sees that his father is lavishing with such riches and such mercy and such grace on his brother who squandered everything. And he says, how can you do this? He said, I never left you. I never sinned against you. That doesn't correspond to any of us, does it? But uh, the point is, is that it sets up what the father says next. He says, you don't understand. My son was lost and now he's found. He was dead. He's alive again. He's come back home. It's right for me to lavish upon him these gifts more even than the inheritance that I gave him at the beginning. <laughs> Glory. That's the promise that Moses is giving to the children of Israel, the old covenant. And it comes to us in the new covenant, new covenant terms. If you're here today and you've sinned against the Lord your God and you have forgotten Him and you have not remembered and you have not been diligent and you have not been careful to call to mind all of these beautiful things that Peter has taught us and you have failed to pursue Christ's likeness, today is the day of repentance. If you'll turn to the Lord your God in repentance and trusting in Him and recalling to mind that He's not willing to destroy you and that He chose you above all the peoples of the face of the earth, electing love, and that He's called you to circumcise even your hearts, and you look to Him again, He will welcome you. He will embrace you. Just like the prodigal son. Today is the day to come home. That's the Word of God to us. That's the Word of Peter. I intend to remind you of these things always so that any time, especially those days in which you've sinned and fallen away, you might be able to recall these things and bring them to heart so that it may go well with you <laughs> and that you might be received into the Father's love and grace through repentance once again. If you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ, here's the application to you. You remember Peter's not addressing the unbeliever. He's addressing the believer. You are alienated from God. You are utterly outside of His kingdom. You are without God in this world. You cannot remember anything because you're blind and deaf and dumb. And to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand. But here's the promise of God. Just like He promises His own children, He promises to you also. If you turn to Him in repentance and faith and you believe in Him and you cry out to Him and you say, Lord, open my eyes and unstop my heart and receive me and welcome me and circumcise my heart, He will hear that prayer and He will receive you. And today is the day of salvation for you if you are outside of Jesus Christ.
Well, Peter is emphasizing to us that in this passage, the vital necessity of hearing these things again and again and again and again and being stirred up to them and being able to recall them at any time, especially those darkest times of our life.